Well, good morning, everyone. As we continue to worship the risen Lord, we want to welcome those of you who are visiting. And I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. If you do not have a Bible, we have plenty of extras. One of our fortes here is that we give away Bibles by the dozens. We truly believe that the Bible is God's Word. It's life-changing and transforming, and many people have had the unfortunate experience of going to church but not reading the Bible. So I don't care what color your Bible is as long as it's red, R-E-A-D. Read it because it's true and it'll change your life. In the midst of our baskets, bunnies, baked hams, beautiful hats and beautiful dresses, this morning we want to cut to the chase and say, all right, let's get to the heart and soul of what the Christian faith is all about, and that is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And our persuasion is that when you truly understand it and its implications, your life will be powerfully changed. The problem is there are a whole lot of people who Sunday after Sunday know these things, but it never makes it that 12 inches from their head to their heart. And so I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit will speak to you as you and I contemplate the resurrection of Christ. So here's what we're going to do this morning. When Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible says, for the next 40 days, he continually appeared to the disciples by many convincing proofs. He had a, a, a primary goal, and that was to assure them that he was real that he was risen, that he had a body, he was not a ghost, he had flesh and bones, he was Lord, he had fulfilled his promise. So if you were to compare all the accounts, there are at least 10 different appearances of Christ. Sometimes the individuals like Mary or Peter, sometimes the crowds like 500 people in 1 Corinthians 15, it mentions that. One time in Luke 24, he appeared to two men who were walking along the road. All of them with the same goal, I want you to be convinced that I am risen. But it's not enough to be convinced that he's risen because even the devil is convinced that he's risen, but then to be converted and to be changed by that truth. So this morning, we're going to look at the end of the Gospel of Luke, a passage that some of you are familiar with, maybe some of you have not seen before. But then we're going to do something simple. We're going to answer some basic questions. Who is that guy who died on the cross? Why did he have to die? Why couldn't he stay dead? Where is he now? And what are the implications for you and me? So join me as we start with reading the passage together. Jesus is in Jerusalem now. He's already appeared to a number of people. They're still trying to figure this out. Like you don't go to a funeral and come home and find the guy on the couch talking to you. So he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Now, these guys aren't the only Christians who ever have troubles and doubts in their hearts. Some of you have troubles and doubts in your hearts this morning. But the Bible is there to comfort us in our troubles and doubts. So Jesus, remember, his primary goal is to persuade them. This is real. This is not show and tell or playing games or fairy tales. I'm alive and that matters. So he says, see here my hands and my feet, that it's I myself. Touch me. See me. Sixty years later, the Apostle John wrote about this in 1 John. He goes, I've handled him with my own hands. Jesus said, look, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones that you see that I'm have. I'm not Casper the ghost. You can, you can grasp me. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, the scars from the nails. And then it says, while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, 
Now, when it says they couldn't believe it, I don't think it means they're like, nah, he's not real. It's kind of like when your team wins the game and you go, I can't believe it. Like they're just so excited that this is the truth. And they were so amazed. But Jesus goes, let me just nail it home once more. He says, you got anything to eat? And Peter's like, well, we just got some um, fish fillets from McDonald's. And so Jesus says, give me a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it. Okay. And he questions, right? He says, I'm going to eat with you in the kingdom of God. Jesus is alive. He's physically risen. Plenty of people saw him. Now he cuts to the chase. Let's talk about the implications. Now he said to them, all right, guys, it's been a whirl when your heads are spinning. But what just happened over the last three days and then since then has significance. These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things which were written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So he's going, this was not God's last minute deal. The Old Testament predicted all of these things. This is where the Jews missed it. They knew that Messiah would come. They knew that Messiah would reign. They knew that Messiah would conquer the Romans. They knew that Messiah would stand high above the rest. What they didn't know is that Messiah had to suffer. So he goes, look, this is what it says. Thus it is written that Christ would suffer and rise from the dead. But look at verse 45. Don't miss this. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Don't miss that. Because you can sit out there right now. You could be clever. You could be bright. You could be witty. You could read the Bible. But unless in God's mercy, he does something in your skull, this is just going to be a silly book, and you're going to go back to your ways, see you next Easter. You're like, well, what? The things that you cannot... I'll give you an example. Termite walks into a bar, sits down, and he says, is the bartender here? See? Most of you have no clue. Went right past you. Now I'll open your minds. Termites eat wood. He wanted to have a snack is the bar tender here, right? So, there's a point to that. I'm not trying to entertain you. I'm not trying to entertain you. I tell you the truth. You can read the Bible. Jesus died for my sins and rose again. And boom, goes right over your head until God opens your mind. That's why I want to pray. Lord, please open all of our minds. So many people walk about reading the Bible and they're blind. But God, when you powerfully visit us and you shine the light of the gospel in our heart, things are never the same. Do what you promised you would do for the glory of Jesus, opening our minds. For it's in his name we pray, amen. Now, he says, look, here's something you got to figure out. It was written that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. But that's not enough. He says, now, repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name. To all the nations. Now this is in Jerusalem. We're in Yardley. Beginning from Jerusalem. Over 2,000 years later. We're preaching the same thing. That Jesus Christ told us to preach. He died. He rose. And your sins can be forgiven. If you repent. And then he says. You're witnesses of these things. You saw it. So you have an obligation. And a privilege. But you're going to need some help. So behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power 
from on high. As Americans, we spend way too much time worrying about our clothes. What am I going to wear for Easter today? I could tell you one thing that you need to learn how to get clothed with, and that's power. Because you can have a pretty outfit, but if you don't have God's power, you're, you're done. As a matter of fact, most of America walks around calling themselves Christians. The Bible says they hold to a form of godliness, but they deny its power. Because the power of true Christianity will change your life. So, Jesus led them out as far as Bethany. Now, unlike the other Gospels, he just rises from the dead and gives them a job to do. In the book of Luke, he actually goes back to heaven. This is 40 days later. It says, he led them to Bethany, and while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Like Scotty, beam me up, Gotti. There he goes. And they're watching him. Right? Now, Luke wrote two volumes. We're going to look in the book of Acts. The angels go, why are you guys standing around? He's coming again. But for now, their initial response was after worshiping him. They were so thrilled that he died and rose again. They, they got their worship on right then. They're like, they're not a church. They just fell down and started worshiping him. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And then they just didn't go back to their old ways. They were continually in the temple praising God. One of the things I don't like about celebrating Easter is that we relegate it to one Sunday a year. Then we put Jesus back in his basket. See you next year with the Easter bunny. We should continually be rejoicing that Christ is risen. So what are we going to do? Who is that man on the cross? Why do you have to die? Why couldn't he stay dead? Where is he now? And how should I respond? Pretty basic. Some of you go, oh, I already know the answer to these questions. Well, let's, let's talk about the implications of it. Who is that man upon the cross? When Pilate brought him out at his trial, he said, behold the man. And I want you to think for a moment about that Christ who hung on that cross. We had a beautiful service, over 300 people here on Friday to contemplate the death of Jesus. There's a lot of people who don't know who Jesus is. They don't get it. Jesus' last name is not Christ. Christ is a title. It's the Greek word Christos. It means he's the anointed one. He's the Mashiach. He's the promised Messiah. That whole idea came in the Old Testament. When a king came into power over Israel, they would pour oil on his head and anoint him. Now God said to King David, one of your descendants is going to be the anointed king. But the difference was, he said, one of them is going to be king forever. And David's gone, wait, what? That'd be like God saying to you, your kid's going to be the president. And you go, well, I don't know about nowadays. A long time ago, that would be something to be proud of. I'm not sure anymore. But if God told you your, king, your kid's going to be the president, you're like, yes. And he said, forever. You're like, wait, I thought you could only do eight. Wait, he's going to die so, so David began to understand that this Messiah is the divine son of God. He would become a man, but Jesus didn't break out when he was born. He's eternal God. He's the son of God, the divine one who came into the Virgin Mary and was born a descendant of David. That's the Messiah. And Paul thought this was a big deal when he wrote to the Roman Gentile Christians. He says, I want to tell you about Christianity and the gospel. I am called as an apostle set apart for the gospel. 
which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. See how all the New Testament authors are going, this story about Jesus was not a last-minute deal. He promised it in the Old Testament. He promised that Jesus would be born a descendant of David, according to the flesh. But Jesus was also declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. So when you think of that man hanging on a cross, he's not just some sorry fella who was misled and took a beating, but he is God himself in human flesh, willingly, lovingly enduring the wrath of God for us. So, that's who he is. But if God came down to earth, why didn't they give him a welcome reception? Why did he have to die? Because the Bible predicted that the Messiah, that Jesus, would die on a cross as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for the sins of his people so that they could be forgiven. The other day I heard a guy tell a story. He said, I was witnessing to a man and I said to him, God had to send his son to die for our sins. And the guy said, that's crazy. He said, God is loving. And when a loving father has a son who does something stupid, if the, if the son comes to him and says, I'm sorry, he doesn't say, well, I'm going to have to kill you or someone's going to have to be killed. He just forgives him because he's sorry. And while that sounds clever, it fails to remember that justice matters. When people break the law, there's a debt that must be paid. Just recently, I was talking to a, a gentleman, a great guy. He said to me, I think God will forgive my sins because I'm really sorry for them. I said, well, let me ask you a question. What if you got one ticket for the next 365 days and you show up in court with your stack of tickets and the judge goes, wow, you've got quite a debt. How's it going to go when you say to him, I'm really sorry? Is he going to say, well, sport, as long as you're sorry, let's just call it a deal. That ain't going to happen. You owe a debt. That's what the Bible teaches about sin. The soul that sins, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. And it's a hideous debt. It's a penalty separated from God in the lake of fire, and that's just. That's what we deserve. And we're all rebels. Nobody skates out of this going, well, I never killed anyone. So God sent his son Jesus to be a sacrifice instead of me so that he could pay the debt that he didn't owe so I could be forgiven. So that when he hung on that cross, he was being punished by God and he said, it is finished. Luke said Christ would suffer and rise from the dead. Repentance and forgiveness would be preached. Paul said, this is the gospel. This is what, I, this is what we make a priority here. First importance, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's why I've been teaching you for years. Don't ask somebody, are you saved? Ask them, if you die, why do you think God will let you into heaven? And when they go, because I'm a good person, you know they don't get it. Because the answer is not because you're a good person. It's because Christ died for your sins. And that's the only reason. It's the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Old Testament predicted it. Surely our griefs he bore and carried our sorrows. Smitten of God and afflicted. When Jesus was being nailed to the cross, he didn't do anything wrong. He was pierced through for my sins. 
He was punished for my transgressions. The chastening for my well-being fell upon him. By his scourging, they're whipping him. Not so I could be healed. I've gone astray like a dopey sheep. And believe me, I look back with shame on the way I used to live. I went astray, but God caused my sin to fall on him. So that's why he died. So he could pay for my sin and now offer forgiveness. Well, why didn't he just stay dead? Because the scriptures predicted that the Messiah would rise from the dead. David wasn't dumb. He's going, wait a minute. If my son died, but he's going to be the Messiah, then he must be going to rise from the dead. So when Peter preached his first sermon, he said in Acts 2, this is the first Easter sermon. He said, brothers, I can confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb's with us in this day. And I imagine if he had a shovel, he said, go ahead and dig him up and you'll see his bones, except the Jews didn't desecrate bodies like that. But he said, David was a prophet and he swore to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne. So he looked ahead and he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. And then he quotes Psalm 16. He was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. Recently, I was talking to one of my Jewish doctors. I said to him, Doc, I said, can you help me some? I said, people ask me all the time, why don't Jewish people believe Jesus is the Messiah? A few of them do, but why don't most of them believe Jesus is the Messiah? And he said, well, you know, I don't really know why. I know he, I kind of think of him as a saint. And I said, well, if he's not the Messiah... How are you going to know when the Messiah comes? He goes, that's a great question. There has to be a standard, right? There has to be some way of knowing. And I said, yeah, it's the Bible. And you don't even know what the Bible says about who the Messiah is and what he's going to do. And he said, I can't believe this. I've gone to Hebrew school all my life. I've never thought about that. And maybe you never thought about that. But God promised, and, and you don't need a New Testament to show someone Messiah suffered for your sins and rose from the dead. You say, oh, Tom, that's fascinating. <laughs> well, where is he now? The Bible says he's at God's right hand. So right now, the risen Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I can't see him, but he can see me. And the Bible says he is coming again and he could come today. And he's coming to judge the living and the dead. If you've ever been to court, you're like, I'd like to find out what judge I'm having. I hope I have that real merciful one. Well, guess what? I already saw you have Jesus. He's going to judge you. And he's going to determine whether you're going to enter his everlasting kingdom. Or Matthew 25, 41, he's going to say to you, depart from me into everlasting fire. Okay? So we can cut right to the chase. This is who he is. This is where he is. This is what he's doing. But right now, he's waiting because he wants people to come into a relationship him, with him so that when he comes back, he doesn't have to send us into the lake of fire. He will forgive us and welcome us into his kingdom. So... You say, well, Tom, why are you talking about this? Because Paul told me to. God told me to. Paul told Timothy, first century preacher, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, 
who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. People say, oh, you know, you're so narrow. You people talk about blood and judgment and hell and Jesus is the only way. You think you know it? No. Preach the word. This is what the Bible says. Don't shoot the messenger. You say, yeah, but that's, you know, don't use words like hell and stuff. People, that turns them off. Paul says, preach the word and be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Those are words that say, hey, if you're not a follower of Christ, you're wrong. And I don't tell you that because I hate you. I tell you that because I love you. And I, and I want to correct you and I want to turn you from your sins. And I want to awaken you to think that just because your backside is on a chair every Sunday, that doesn't mean you're saved. That's not how you get into heaven. And I don't expect that I preach once and everybody flocks forward and comes to Christ. He says, do it with great patience. So Sunday after Sunday, whoever's in this pulpit, we preach Christ, crucified, risen, coming again. And there's a lot of people who don't want to hear that anymore. They're like, tell me something that will make me feel good about myself and how God wants me to be blessed and healthy and happy and everything's copacetic. Paul goes, the time will come when they won't endure sound doctrine. They want their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. I had a lady tell me, that's what I love about the Unitarian Church. You can believe whatever you want. And you can believe whatever you want, but you're going to find out one day that there's a way which seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. So, gee, well, what should I do about it? I mean... That, like, if this stuff's real, like, what am I supposed to do about it? Well, as I read that passage, I thought of four things that Jesus told them to do. Number one, pretty straightforward, believe this is true and repent for the forgiveness of your sins. Okay? It's not enough to go, oh, yeah, I believe there's a guy named Jesus who died and rose again. The devil believes that. That's just head knowledge. That's just intellectual assent that... that and some of you don't even believe that. You're like, ah, nobody can rise from the dead. And I want to persuade you. One of my little, um, I told you this story, a little autistic eight-year-old boy, I was talking to my granddaughter, and I said, Jesus rose from the dead. He goes, people don't rise from the dead. They can't. I said, no, I know they normally don't, but Jesus did. He said, how do you know? I said, well, I said, suppose your mom said, hey, look, there's a deer out the window. And you ran over there, and by the time you got there, the deer was gone. Would you say to your mom, how do you know it was a deer? And she'd say, because I saw it, right? Well, I didn't see Jesus rise from the dead, but there's a whole lot of people that did, and they wrote it down in this book, and it fulfills the scriptures. So I believe it. But if you believe it in your heart that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, and that he is offering you the forgiveness of sins, then the Bible says, repent. And believe the gospel. What does that look like? Jesus said repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Repentance is a willingness not only to trust in Christ, but to follow him. Lots of people raise their hand. Woohoo! Jesus, you're the man. I love you, man. Can I have some of that hell insurance? And you never see him again. 
John the Baptist said, bring forth fruits in keeping with your repentance. Some of you, you need to fear and tremble that the only thing you're holding on to is a shallow confession. You said some prayer when you were nine years old at Backyard Bible Club. The mark of a genuine Christian is a changed heart that turns to Christ and trusts Him and clings to Him and begins to follow Him ever so frailly and struggling. If you still live the same way you did before you were saved, if your thoughts and your heart, and there is no desire to turn away from sin, there is no difference between you and godless unbelievers, then you have to stop and smell the coffee and say, did I repent? Or did I just try to slip a fast one on Jesus? Right? Repentance is real and it's radical. And it's the evidence of faith. And it doesn't stop the day you raise your hand. I'm still repenting. Luke chapter, or Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says to the church at Laodicea, you're lukewarm, now repent. He says to the church in Ephesus, you've lost your first love and repent. Repentance is ongoing. It's whenever I realize that I'm not being a follower who, who has been forgiven, I need to get my GPS reorganized. So some of you, you're playing around. You're, you're living a double life. You've got sexual sin. You've got addictions and, and, and things that, that you just don't want to turn away from. Not all of you. But you're living a lie. And God's saying, look, I love you. I will repent. Let the wicked forsake his way and return to the Lord. There is mercy at the cross. But Jesus said, unless you repent, you'll perish. So he offers us this wonderful opportunity to just, you don't have to change your ways and go, I'm going to stop doing this stuff. Just turn and believe and cling to him and say, Lord, I'm willing to follow you. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead you will be saved some of you are going wait that wait what and some of you know you need to do that and I'm pleading with you today to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ surrender to him and trust him he's full of mercy just because you still struggle with sin doesn't mean you're not saved but if you enjoy your sins, if you indulge your sins, if you're playing games with Jesus because you said a prayer when you were five years old, you need to repent and believe and receive this wonderful free gift that's life-changing. And one of the ways that you demonstrate repentance, John the Baptist said, bring forth fruit in keeping with your repentance. Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. A couple weeks ago, we had 13 people baptized, Right? Don't tell me you've repented if you're not willing to be baptized. So repent. And we'll talk to you if you're afraid, if you don't understand. Many Christians are fearful. But listen, if you're here today and you don't know that you're going to heaven, you can leave sure that you are forgiven. My Bible says repent and you will receive the forgiveness of sins. You're like, you know, I always had these questions because when I would go to church, the, 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 my spiritual leader would tell me, just say this prayer 10 times and you'll be forgiven. But it never resonated in your soul because you didn't read it in the Bible. But now you're reading in the Bible, repent and you will be forgiven. Believe and you will have eternal life. And I hope and pray, this has been my prayer, that God will awaken so many more 
Thousands will come into this church and repent and believe. We're not interested in shuffling the Christian deck and getting people from other churches. But we're on a mission, aren't we? To see our kids and our enemies and our loved ones and our neighbors and our co-workers giving their lives to Christ. You say, well, I've already done that. Great. Now, once you repent and believe the gospel, now you're on the gospel team. You are a witness. You are now a representative. You and I go back to our homes, our families. 80% of people who repent and turn to the Lord become believers through friends and loved ones. Now you and I have the opportunity to go back to the people that we're around and live it out. And when God turns nasty people into gentle people, addicts into self-controlled people, lousy husbands into loving husbands, lazy people into hard workers, grumpy people into sweet-spirited people, impatient people into patient people. You can't argue with that. And you bear witness and you tell others, I want to tell what the Lord has done for me. Too many Christians are like, I just live by, I witness by my life. No, no, no. If Jesus did that, they would have never killed him. You witness by your life and your lips. And there's so many different ways you can do that. I want to just give you one more of the many opportunities. The Jesus film. Maybe some of you have heard of the Jesus film. It's the Gospel of Luke. It's a DVD that has now recently come out in another version. It's the number one seen film in all the world. Billions of people have seen it all over the world. It's in so many different languages. Dave Livingston's going to be in the back. We have a thousand of these. Now, here's what's cool about it. It has a children's version. If you've never showed your children the, the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus and how to repent and believe, it's in there. Maybe you know women who have been oppressed, especially in some of the other cultures where they're hard on women. There's the Mary Magdalene. American culture can be hard on women too. There's a story of Mary Magdalene. And then, of course, there's the life of Jesus. And not only does it have a children's version, but it's in eight different languages. So you can give it to Jose and say, here it is in Spanish. You can give it to, you can give it to Francois because it's in French. <laughs> you can give it to Amir because it's in Arabic. You can give it to Ching Shui because it's in Mandarin. You can give it to, I don't know any Vietnamese names, but, but there's also 24 more languages. So these are free. There's a thousand of them. You go to the visitor's booth and you say, hey, could I get one of them? And, and, and you think about, hey, what would it look like for me to walk across and say to my neighbor, hey, I'd love for you to sometime watch this with me or watch it and let's talk about it. Now, if you never talk to your neighbor, don't do it. Go have your neighbor for a barbecue. Build a relationship with them and then give them one of these. Keep one in your car. I meet people all over the place. Sometimes I wonder, does anybody speak English around here? Here is an opportunity to be a witness among many others. Real quick, the third thing you can do is to bless the Lord. You see, the resurrection is the foundation for why we can praise God no matter what's going on. Paul says we rejoice in hope. We rejoice in sorrow. Some of you have lost a loved one recently. And I get that. I buried my mom. It's painful. We don't just go, yay, I'm a Christian. It hurts. And we weep. But the Bible says we do not sorrow like those who have no hope. I look through my tears and the light of the Lord Jesus Christ makes rainbows. 
and I, and I settle down and I say, Lord Jesus, I thank you that we're going to be together again. I'm going to see granny again. My niece just sent me a letter. My mom loved cows. And my niece was very close to my mom. In her 20s when my mom died, she was away, couldn't get back. She said, Jesus, just give me a sign that granny's in heaven. I didn't need a sign because I knew my mom had a clear testimony. She said, let me see a cow and let him wink at me. <laughs> I just found this out. She said, I stopped. I saw a cow field. She said, God's my witness. A cow walked over and he winked at her. <laughs> And she doesn't drink, so I'm just saying. <laughs> so I told that to my little granddaughter, six years old yesterday. She says, well, then I want to try that. If Granny's in heaven, let me see a cow. I go, stop it. <laughs> I don't need a movie of a little boy to tell me heaven is for real. I already know it's for real because the Bible says so. So whatever you're going through this morning... The Bible teaches that Christians bless the Lord in hope. We rejoice in everything. These disciples didn't go, I'm bored with Easter. They were praising God. And I know it's hard to give thanks in your pain, but bless the Lord. Become, cultivate, pray to God to not be a complainer. Get better, not bitter. Be a because that's attractive when people see suffering Christians still praising the Lord. Why? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, my fears are gone. What are you going to do, threaten me with heaven? So we rejoice in hope. But then last, and this is really important, pray for power and be busy with Christ or for Christ. The resurrection is about power. How strong are you? Watch this. Rawr. When God wants to show how strong he is, he says, look at the resurrection. Ephesians chapter 1 says, I want you to know the great power that is available to you, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. So Jesus said to the disciples, stay in the city until you're clothed with power. You know how you're going to get clothed with power? When you and I learn to get on our knees and pray. Oh, I tried that once, Pastor. It didn't work. Well, that doesn't even make sense. You persist. You plead. These people prayed for for days and days, 10 straight days, day and night, they were praying, 120 gathered, dear Lord, clothe me with power. Power for what? How about this? Power to have a, a better marriage instead of enduring my marriage, that we could enjoy my marriage. Power to get off of substances. Power to turn away from porn and sexual sins. Power to love my difficult neighbors. Power to be patient with my kids. Power to, to, to stop getting angry and freaking out all the time. Power to be a real Christian and not just talking about it. There is wonderful power. Power to see lives changed. I don't want people to say, ooh, preacher, that was so wonderful. Paul said, I want your faith to be resting not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. And if you don't experience the power of Jesus, then get on your knees he didn't say you can do some things through Christ. He said you can do all things through Christ. And as we learn to pray, God's rocking this church. He's healing people. He's changing people. And there are no Humpty Dumpties. And God will give us power, but not just to sit around, but to get busy. See, they're staring up at heaven. And, and, and when they're staring up in heaven, the guy says in verse 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? What are you guys doing? Wow. 
He goes, knock it off. Why? That was cool. Because this Jesus who has been taken up for you into heaven will come again. Time's a ticking. Jesus said, occupy till I come. What are you doing for Christ? If you think setting your buttocks on a seat for one hour is being busy for Christ, it's not. Are you praying? Are you giving? Are you serving? Are you trying to love your spouse? Are you helping the poor? Are you letting your good works shine? Stop and think deeply. What are you doing for Christ? He will enable you. But he called us all to be busy, to be steadfast, to be unmovable. We want to help you find a place to serve. Some of you are like, yeah, we, we probably should be getting in a small group at some point. Well, when is it some point? So let's ask God in this year to come that he would bring great acts of power. Addicts would be set free. We've got marriages in shambles all over this church. We've got broken, hurting people. And if God's power falls upon us, we're going to expect to see marvelous things. But it comes on those who pray. And so as we close, I want to wish you a very blessed celebration of the resurrection of Christ. Thank you so much, Lord. May your word change us and may we be a church that preaches, teaches, and lives Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. Even this morning, I pray that some people will repent, believe, and turn their lives to Christ. And before they leave today, that they will come and tell someone that they want to follow Christ. Bless them indeed, Lord, your children, in Jesus' name, amen. Here's one way you can be busy. If you're not staying around, there's a whole bunch of people that are coming for the next service. Busily like a bee, go to your car and open up a spot. Thank you.